This is Talking Points, Ken's politics podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talking Points podcast, the podcast where we guide you through all the political news affecting Kent and beyond. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and with me is the KM's political editor, Paul Francis. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, thanks Ollie. It's been a busy week. It's been a yeah, it's gonna be a busy week. Also, we've recorded this on the day Google decided to go down, which has been an absolute technical headache since since that started. I think you were a bit stressed out by technology, huh, Paul? Yeah, uh, I'm not the best with cables and wires, but uh, I think I think we're there. I think we got there. At least we're being, we're able to talk together. At least so that's that's. I'm kind out. of old school, you know. <laughs> pen and paper would do for me. Yeah, you can't record a podcast through pen and paper though, <laughs> so that's the only problem. We could write one. We could, but then we're just we're, we're kind of regressing back to just just standard papers, aren't we? Should we just pack this whole podcast in? In that case, <laughs> yeah. first thirty seconds of the podcast, and we're already talking yeah. about regressing. Um, okay, so our first port of call this morning, or this afternoon, Paul, is the ongoing Brexit negotiations. So, what was supposed to be the final day in talks yesterday, we got a little late game plot twist as a joint statement between Boris Johnson and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen told us that it was the reasonable thing to do to continue to try and find a resolution. So firstly, Paul, I was going to ask you, was that joint statement significant, do you think, in the fact that it was a joint statement rather than two separate ones? Well, I think it was because obviously uh, you need both sides to sign up to uh, an extension of the, the talks. So uh, they, they obviously felt that there was sufficient common ground, despite uh, Boris Johnson saying there were very significant uh, concerns about the distance, the gap between the two sides. They felt that there was some merit in uh, carrying on with the talks while those discussions might lead to some kind of solution. Although you know the mood music changes hour by hour, I was rooted to the uh, TV and all manner of news outlets yesterday, waiting some development, and nothing came. So it was uh, a bit of a, a write-off in terms of uh, what we got from it. An incredibly short, um, a very short statement from um, President von der Leyen as well. It was about, I think it was about 20 seconds long. She didn't answer any questions. She ran off to the side. All the camera yeah, men were standing yeah. around going, all right, well, that must be the end then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, brief and to the point, I think, was uh, how you'd characterise it. But uh, I mean, I think they obviously don't want to do their negotiations in public. Uh, you know, it's good reasons for, for that approach. So they, they weren't uh, going to give a kind of blow by blow account of what the talks were uh, getting to or discussing. And it was a bit like, you know, when uh, there were press packs outside a hospital waiting for imminent news of a royal birth, you know, they. They have to fill all the dead air with kind of speculation and uh, reaction from people who don't know actually what's going on on the inside of the negotiating room. I suppose we're all hoping for a, a Brexit birth, the birth of a Brexit <laughs> yes. deal. Um, yeah. In terms of sticking points, Paul, let's let's break down what the EU and the UK are still struggling to agree on. Uh, what are the kind of big sticking points? Well, there's the totemic issue of fishery policy. And uh, although lots of people will point out that fishing industry contributes a fairly small amount to the general prosperity and economy of the UK. It's one of these topics, one of these issues, which is more symbolic, basically. Uh, it's all about kind of uh, 
uh, fishing in the correct waters, not allowing uh, others to come into waters where you can fish. So there's that issue. Then there was the whole issue around you know, what these discussions are actually about, which is a kind of the broad trade agreements that might be possible with the UK's departure. Uh, and I think that's obviously causing some um, difficulties and, it, and is the big issue which has got to be disentangled. And then there's stuff about the kind of governance of the uh, various arrangements that might be met um, post January the 1st. So, so in terms of just qu quickly going back to fisheries, I spoke to John Nichols, who's the chairman of the Thanet Fishermen's Association, and he's, here's what he had to say about why he feels it's important for Britain to regain control of its fisheries. If we are able to take back control of our fisheries, if we are able to expand our fisheries in the near future by growth, with youngsters coming in, we also would like to see the same support that the farming industry gets, you know, in subsidies and also in grants for new equipment, new boats, new engines to upgrade because we are a very, very aging fleet due to, once again, the fact that there hasn't been the opportunity to expand. So one of the things that John talks about there in that clip is, is this idea that if we get our fisheries back, then we would be able to build a, a larger economy around the fisheries. Because as you you sort of alluded to, it's not the biggest part of our economy, the fishing industry, is it? But but what John's saying is it, it could be if if we if we had full control, but it would take maybe a decade or two to actually get to the point where we were taking advantage of all the fish that are in our fisheries. Yes. Uh, and I think that does, you know, in a sense, underline the fact that this is this is probably more about uh, symbolism uh, rather than uh, anything above anything else. Not to say that's not important because you know small fishing fleets are kind of living hand to mouth, week to week. But um, you know, someone pointed out to me that the other day that uh, around about I think it's about two thirds of the catch of UK fishing trawlers is goes abroad, so it doesn't actually come back to the to the UK. So. Uh, that's that's an interesting stat. Well, the other thing that John mentioned when when I spoke to him was um, he suggested that actually some of it maybe is about the education of people's diets. So if everybody in the UK ate one piece of fish a week, um, then we wouldn't have to export any fish to make money off of the fishing economy, yeah. which is an interesting idea. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some people don't like fish. You yeah. know, what about the well, vegetarians and the vegans as well? well exactly. I was going to say the vegan uh, uh, lobby would be. Uh, perhaps saying something different. But yeah, I mean, it does seem odd to me. We're an island nation, aren't we? And yes, you know, we don't eat as much fish as some of our landlocked uh, colleagues. Maybe we'll see an increase in homemade fish fingers instead. Well, that's a way to get always, fish yeah. in people's diets. I mean, it is worth pointing <laughs> out that fishing is, is of uh, particular significance in Kent because of the, uh, the, the obvious uh, coastal strip and the fleets that, uh, you know, Ramsgate's Margate and, and around the, uh, the coastal peninsula. So it is... Yeah, Queenborough yeah. and, and Whitstable as well. Yeah. So um, obviously as talks continue and, and they, I mean, we don't know, you know, to be honest, by the time uh, by the time this podcast comes out, there may be a different line on this and we may be behind the curve. So yeah. if, this ever, <laughs> if this ever gets repeated on Dave, there'll have to be the you know, qualification. <laughs> oh, imagine that. So basically... <laughs> 
So at this point, this morning, we have a bit of an update anyway, and it's been what we've been talking about for a lot of the morning. Um, one Kent MP has a proposition for the Prime Minister if the talks fail and we end up with a no-deal Brexit. So, uh, Paul, who is this and what have they said? Well, uh, depending on which way you look at it, he's either the villain or the hero. Um, it's the Kent MP, Sir Roger Gale, who represents North Thanet, who has made a very interesting intervention uh, today and talked about his belief that if Boris Johnson can't get a trade deal which uh, accommodates all the UK's interests, and boy, that's going to be tricky, he feels that uh, the, the Prime Minister should stand aside and uh, make way for someone who could do a better job and bring a degree of consensus to the Conservative Party. Now, I don't think that's going to trigger open warfare within the Conservative Party at all. I don't think we're uh, back in the bad old days when they were kind of there was open warfare between different factions within the Conservative Party over Europe. But I do think it is quite uh, telling that he's felt uh, compelled to uh, make this intervention now, you know, ahead of any news of any uh, agreements and before the end of these extended talks. Uh, and I think the issue then becomes whether he represents, his view represents the views of a significant number in the parliamentary party. We all know that Europe has been the kind of fault line for the Conservatives in the last, well, probably two decades now. Uh, and oh, as I say, I, I don't think this is necessarily going to uh, convulse the uh, Conservatives into another bout of uh, kind of rancorous infighting, but it does show that there is a perhaps a growing constituency of MPs who have not, who have fallen out, have um, fallen out with Boris Johnson, and feel that uh, he's not doing as good a job as they'd expected. So we spoke to Roger Gale earlier this morning, and here's what he had to say: If the Prime Minister fails to reach an acceptable agreement with the European Union, then he will have failed the people of the United Kingdom. And under those circumstances, I believe that an honourable man has no alternative but to stand down and to make way for somebody else, as indeed David Cameron did when he lost the referendum. I mean, how likely is it that it will fast forward a month and Boris Johnson in a no-deal situation says, do you know what, I hold my hands up, I'm going to allow this party to be pushed forward with someone else. I mean, are we, are we really going to see that? Uh, I, you, you never know, but at this particular juncture, it's kind of it does seem rather kind of unlikely that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, Sir Roger is one of these kind of uh, veteran MPs who can can articulate these kind of things without uh, drawing um, kind of fire from uh, people who believe the opposite. Um, and he doesn't. He's he's an uncompromising character. He just he's just he's a bit. He reminds me a bit of, of Anne Widdicombe, in the sense that both are kind of outspoken, uncompromising, tell it like it is uh, MPs. Uh, but I, you know, it's 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 hard to judge whether this is really uh, kind of lighting the litmus paper and uh, propelling the Conservatives into another kind of. Uh, endless internal argument about Europe. Hypothetically, Paul, say that he did give his give his notice, as it were, yeah. in January, 
who who could, who, who could be the revolver? Yeah, yeah. Who would be the next prime minister? I mean, who is there? Oh. In the, who are we who are we looking at? Who do you reckon? Well, I mean, Michael Gove comes to mind as uh, an obvious potential candidate um, because he went for it before, but fell out with Boris, and there have have been questions about his kind of. Uh, loyalty and trustworthiness but uh, you know I would expect him to put his name forward there's people like Dominic Raab the foreign secretary who was also a contender in the uh, the battle that Boris won um, you know some people say Matt Hancock but you know I'm not so sure that he'd be a contender he got the backing of uh, two or three MPs in the leadership contest um, because they they felt he was of their generation as it were he was you know relatively young and uh, I think his support came on on the back of those who thought you know they need someone from his generation to uh, to take on the job so it's you wouldn't say it's kind of a, a, a crowded field um, with lots of people who might be thinking of running but you, you never know with these things Talking Points, Ken's Politics Podcast. Now, as we enter the final academic week of the term, there are calls for some schools to close due to high infection rates of COVID-19. Speaking this morning, Chairman of the Kent Association of Head Teachers, Alan Brooks, told us what he thought. There is a very strong argument to look again at schools remaining open during the last week of term, particularly schools, particularly secondary schools in the areas where the cases are highest. I don't think I would be in favour of a blanket closure, but I do think that a recommendation to schools from the centre to seriously consider closing would be a good idea. The, the health secretary on Thursday said that cases were rising fastest amongst the 11 to 18 age group. If we are going to get this under control, then looking at school closure would seem to be a very sensible step to consider seriously at this point and rapidly. So this all kicked off in Medway, isn't that right, Paul? Yes, the opposition Labour group in Medway uh, decided that they their position would be they felt that schools should close uh, more or less straight away as it uh, as it happens, because they felt the kind of exponential increase in infection rates wasn't helped by schools remaining open. And you have to say uh, that there are a lot of head teachers out there who firmly believe that their schools should close, but uh, the Department for Education and you know, in the case of Kent, Kent County Council and Medway Council are adopting fairly kind of hardball positions on this and say that. Uh, and are advising schools to remain open so far as they are able to. Uh, and I think this is stirring up a bit of a tension between schools and the politicians. And a lot of schools who are now academies uh, have are supposed to have kind of autonomy over their affairs and the way in which they're run and feel slightly miffed that they can't take decisions which you know they at the front line of this uh, believe is the right way to go i mean we've we've got this um, announcement about mass testing of schools in some of the worst affected parts of kent and that's great but schools are more or less heading towards the end of term now and you know how many of these tests are actually going to be administered you know, it's not something you can force children to do, not something you can force parents to do, but they've got to get 
kind of agreement from parents for vaccinations. So it's become a little bit messy. And uh, I think when the day of reckoning comes over the COVID uh, virus and pandemic, I think this will um, possibly be one of the kind of touchstone issues in terms of whether the approach of the government and the education authorities was was the right one. I mean, because there are schools out there where there are kind of, it's not just a case of a handful of pupils uh, who've got the infection, it's the kind of need to self-isolate, in some cases, whole year groups. I mean, I know of one school, one large secondary school in Kent where over the weekend, um, they had to send notices out to all year seven, uh, I think it's year seven children, uh, saying that they had to stay away from school uh, and self-isolated, and that involved more than 300 children. So, Paul, how is this potentially connected to exam periods going into 2021? Well, the government is definitely concerned about the uh, potential loss of learning time for children, and that's was obviously related to what happened in the summer and the kind of uh, the saga over exam results and exams not taking place. And it, Gavin Williamson, the education secretary, said last week that he was absolutely determined that uh, exams were going to go ahead. So it's it's definitely uh, an agenda tied in with the exams. And I think you know this is the the card the government and to a certain extent the local authorities are playing is that you know uh, if you uh, if your child doesn't uh, make the most of the opportunities uh, for when the school uh, remains open then that's going to affect their kind of prospects but teachers you know a lot of teachers out there think that uh, there's a strong case for the exams not to go ahead uh, next year in in the kind of in the same way and they feel that um, particularly the unions feel that uh, there's a there's a kind of a combined approach which might be more useful where there's more assessment of coursework uh, as well as uh, exams which is kind of in a sense turning the clock back um, to what uh, we used to have but uh, I think the as I say the government has definitely got an agenda here and that's all around the exams. And now they've got to contend with the fact that London Mayor Sadiq Khan's calling for schools in the capital to close this week before Christmas, before the run up to Christmas, because of those spiking COVID cases. And I guess the question is whether that would help enough anyway. Like, would schools being closed in Medway help, bearing in mind restrictions are being relaxed in a week's time for Christmas anyway, and we potentially might see a spike? Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a question of, you know, in a sense, what what presents the most risk you know if if children are uh, not confined is the right is the wrong word but in a kind of uh, an environment in the school where they can be kind of controlled as it were that might actually be better than having lots of children with nothing to do you know and making the most of their time off by going out and meeting them <laughs> meeting their mates which then might present another kind of risk in terms of the uh, prevalence of the infection absolutely and um, before we before we finish paul um it's usually sometimes it's jargon of the week sometimes it's uh a blunder of the week i think this week it's a blunder of the week um a lot of people have seen this i mean you you know it's bad if it was included on Gogglebox. i think that's the <laughs> that's the kind of level and, and have i got news for you and have i got news for you so this was this was um health secretary matt hancock 
um, on uh, Good Morning Britain watching Will Shakespeare getting his getting his vaccine. Um, and uh, I mean, describe what you saw, Paul, because it was a well bizarre he kind of he kind of welled up uh, with um, with uh, he, some people are questioning whether this was a kind of um, uh, something which he contrived uh, as a result of you know the long haul towards getting a vaccine and uh, his emotional investment in it which he wanted to kind of uh, portray to a, to, to a public audience uh, and uh, it just for a lot of people it didn't strike them as kind of entirely natural uh, and there's a lot of people I'm being I'm being careful with my words here you really are uh, and uh, you know had a suspicion that maybe this was um, yeah, he, a sort of contrived attempt, attempt at kind of emotional engagement I mean a couple of, of, of the sort which politicians are not actually very good at clearly I mean a couple of observations if you are going to cry on TV it helps if there's at least a single tear just one yeah. uh, the other thing the other thing I, I mean I've seen a couple of people mention is the fact that it also sort of looks like he was laughing before it was cut to him yes yeah maybe he was um, laughing at the fact the guy was called Will Shakespeare and it was just a yeah. I've well, never met yeah. anyone called William Shakespeare before so no uh, neither have I well there you um, go maybe maybe he just thought that was quite funny but, that that's yeah. the name well, of the person there's sometimes a fine line between laughing and crying isn't there sure yeah. sure Maybe he felt that laughing, not laughing, but uh, sort of exulting in in the joy of uh, having the first vaccine administered, you know, prompted this particular reaction. He thought, "Oh, hold on, I don't want to seem to be laughing, so maybe I'll maybe I'll see if I can cry cry a little bit." Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm he's afraid... not much of a much of a contender for the Oscars this year. I don't know. No, uh, definitely not. Um, not going to get a, a gong for that performance, I don't think. Um, he, <laughs> he, he's the Gwyneth Paltrow of political. Oh, wow. Gwyneth, Gwyneth fans are fuming. Yeah. Absolutely fuming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I kind of, I do find it hard to be hard on some politicians sometimes. And uh, his stepdad died of the COVID infection. So you can understand, you know, maybe he's got uh, he's emotionally invested in it in his, uh, as a as a person as well as a politician. But message here: don't try and force crying on uh, on a national TV station. No, no, that's the wise words there. Wise words. Well, thank wise you so words, much, yeah. Paul. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us once again for yeah. talking points. Uh, we'll, we didn't we actually ever get. We might be back. And if we are back, uh, I didn't mean we... to finish my sentence there. We will be back. I just don't know if we'll be back next week or not. Oh yes, uh, we'll, <laughs> we 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 haven't touched on the, the the pledge that I made earlier in in our first 
renewed podcast of talking about why Margaret Thatcher was wearing a pro-European jumper. Oh my God. Would you know what we're going to, I think we're going to have to save the content. We're going to have to save it. I know you're going to have to postpone that for another week. I'm yeah. All those people are going to be fuming. That's the only reason they, they, yeah. they've chimed in it's today a, to listen told, to that. He told us they were going to talk about Margaret Thatcher wearing a EU jumper. I think there's a hashtag Bro- trending on Twitter for it actually. <laughs> broken, hashtag broken promises. Oh dear. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast.